This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Uh, For those of you who perhaps have never Mm -hmm. listened to our shows, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m. And we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England, graduating there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions. And we manufacture all our own certified organic herb extracts, which are either grown in our CCUF certified herb farm or which we source from other USA certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's topic of weight gain. The number here if you live in the area is 923-3911 or if you live outside the area the toll free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. We can also be reached toll free on one 888 WBM Herb for further questions during normal business hours, Monday through Friday. Well, once again, <coughs> excuse me, we're very welcome to have Dr. Raymond Pete to share his expertise on the subject tonight. Uh, again, one of those subjects related to something that he has a lot of experience with through his uh, research into uh, thyroid and uh, progesterone, uh, other related uh, compounds that are essential, if you like, for Um, healthy metabolism and for anti-stress, anti-aging effects. So uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, again this month, Dr. Pete. Thank you. Okay, um, so I think as usual we want to give the benefit to those listeners perhaps who haven't heard of you or haven't tuned into this show before, uh, the benefit of your um, past experience. So if you wouldn't mind just detailing your academic professional career to those people. Um, After I had uh, taught linguistics and English and such for a while, I decided to go to graduate school in biology at the University of Oregon and uh, graduated there with my Ph.D. in 1972, uh, uh, specializing in physiology and biochemistry, especially reproductive physiology. And uh, right after I uh, left university, I worked for a while uh, with a diet company uh, counseling people in weight loss. Okay, so that was 41 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, hopefully we're going to cover quite a lot of material here tonight because I know that the subject um, uh, surrounding tonight's topic of uh, weight gain or how to avoid it and what causes it, etc., etc., will be pretty uh, pertinent to a lot of people, even if they're not overtly overweight. So... I think one of the main things just to um, let people know about, um, uh, apart from anything else, is that uh, you do actually have a pretty active uh, Facebook fan page, Dr. P, whether you know it or not, I don't know, but um, it's an, an, an active uh, repeat Facebook fan page. For those of you uh, who are familiar with Facebook and, and use it, that's something perhaps you might want to look at. There's a pretty uh, lively debate and forum uh, surrounding most of uh, those topics that we've covered with Dr. Pete over the last few years. Um, so I think one of those things that has come out of the uh, the forum 
And I know it's something that we've noticed ourselves, but that's not to say that it's unavoidable, because it certainly is, and that's going to be the discussion of tonight's show. Um, I think one of those things that um, people are asking each other on the Facebook page is um, how people can adopt your diet and not um, not expect any weight gain. I know the uh, the thing that uh, most people have talked about is some extra uh, weight around the abdomen uh, in relation to your specifications for diet. So, Sarah, what were you? But, well, say? I just think that you know that's quite a, a broad statement there. It is very broad. And basically, we... you can't say <laughs> that when people adopt Dr. Pete's diet because you know if if um, you know we say milk is good for you and you go and you start drinking a half a gallon of whole milk a day, you know, you're going to put on weight unless you basically cut out all other calories. So, right. well, that's what you know, we, this that's is where it, I think into. people get yeah. confused, like, well, how much milk should I drink? And should I, if I don't want to gain weight, should I drink whole milk or low fat or, you know? Right. Well, and what, it's, what, it's what, the same with cheese, too. Uh, I advise eating uh, cheese because of its high calcium and protein content, but... Uh, you have to consider the calories because uh, some cheese has practically no fat. Others are uh, basically like uh, soft butter for the fat content. Like brie or chev. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. B, I guess what I wanted to start off with first then um, was um, asking you this. that One of the main uh, components to weight management then is a functional energy reserve uh, coupled with a healthy metabolism, and, and this is your expertise. So would you outline perhaps what constitutes a healthy metabolism in terms of uh, what we know as uh, glucose oxidation versus the opposite, the fatty acid metabolism that occurs with stress. So and our listeners can tell the difference. And before you answer that, Dr. B, just to say that you've told us before that if somebody has an unhealthy metabolism, they'll have a hard time uh, burning a 1,200, 1,000 calories a day. Uh, yeah, there was a study um, about 30 or 40 years ago in which uh, doctors used to follow the textbook standard that uh, everyone uh, can lose weight if they eat less than 1,700 calories a day uh, because that was a study done in the 20s or 30s on healthy people. Uh, and so they put a group of women who claimed that they were gaining weight on 1,000 calories, uh, put them in a closed <clears throat> ward and actually counted how much food they were eating and some of them could maintain their weight on 700 calories a day, especially women who had dieted a lot uh, because uh, several adaptations happened to uh, chronic, uh, poorly balanced dieting. Uh, the thyroid slows down, <clears throat> and especially the muscle tissues atrophy uh, from the stress of dieting. And if you think of the stress metabolism as being very similar to uh, the diabetic metabolism. Uh, basically, you shift over to burning fat rather than sugar. Um, the, the, at rest, um, your brain and red blood cells uh, need sugar, um, and they'll keep uh, burning it regardless of, of where they have to get it. Uh, if you don't eat enough, of the uh, necessary nutrients, uh, your your body will convert your muscles to sugar to keep feeding your brain what it needs. And if you are eating enough sugar 
or or things which can be turned into sugar, then your body doesn't have to uh, break down its own tissues to to make the necessary glucose for your your blood cells and brain. And in that condition, your muscles at rest don't require uh, practically any glucose. They can do fine on a pure fat diet, um, but that's the resting muscle. If, if your muscles are under stress, uh, very intense exercise, uh, the muscles will begin burning almost pure sugar. Um, so it's the, uh, the massive muscle at rest which will burn fat uh, calories and uh, leave the uh, protein for your um, functioning tissues and sugar to sustain your your essential uh, brain and immune system and such. So this is why you're an advocate of muscle building because then it helps convert your uh, fat into, well, it helps your body to burn the fat for fuel rather than just using the sugar. Yeah, and when the muscle is stressed, it uh, begins actually producing estrogen. Um, when you're building muscle in a safe way, the, the muscle begins producing testosterone actually right in the muscle, uh, which helps the rest of the body. The, the heart is one of the main targets of, of testosterone, uh, so uh, well-developed uh, skeletal muscles are actually sustaining the heart muscle as well as the brain and the lungs, which need the stabilizing uh, anti-inflammatory steroids. So is this why they find that when there's muscly people that they have longer lifespans? One of the reasons, do you think? Um, well, uh, yeah, everything that tends to kill you uh, shrinks your muscles. Uh, frailty is the basic thing that associates with aging. Bones and muscles uh, go away at, at about the same rate with aging. Okay, so getting back to... Um what you've uh, started to outline under what would be regular metabolism for the body to burn glucose preferentially uh, rather than uh, liberating free fatty acids to produce energy. The um, diet starvation type model would then force your body into utilizing stored fats for energy. Is that correct? Uh, except when it does that, it also uh, needs to make some sugar for your brain, and right. so it breaks down the um, tissues. The first to go is your thymus, which in just a few hours, um, they used to think that adults didn't have a significant amount of thymus tissue because they looked at, at people who had died after being sick. And uh, even uh, if you die slowly after a traumatic accident, your thymus is gone. It just takes a few hours of intense stress for the thymus to be dissolved. And so a long fast uh, will just completely devastate your thymus tissues. It mm. turns into sugar very quickly. And that's important for your immune system, right? Yeah. Right. And the, uh, the skin is relatively dispensable, too, in the long run. So your skin atrophies very quickly uh, with a fast or, or even a low-calorie diet. And uh, then the muscles go. You can live months on your muscles, uh, providing sugar for your brain 
if necessary, if you have big muscles. But right. uh, lots of the women that I used to see uh, who were there for a, a weight loss diet, uh, you couldn't find a bicep muscle <laughs> or, or a calf muscle. They couldn't, they, they would try to tighten their muscle and uh, they couldn't feel or find anything either in their upper arm or, or lower leg. Okay. Uh, the, the muscle was maybe the size of a person's index finger. Wow. And uh, so when they would uh, first start eating a good diet, uh, the first thing that would happen would be pounds of water loss. Uh, their tissue would suddenly uh, come out of the stress condition and uh, mm -hmm. get rid of some of the stored water. Then the muscle would start growing. The first week they might lose 10 or 15 pounds of water. Okay. Then for about a month they would start putting on weight as their muscles began growing. Okay, because obviously muscle muscle is denser than fat, right? And so some a, a, a slender person with a well-defined muscular structure would weigh more than a larger person that seemed large through uh, fat. Yeah, we would have people measure their waists and thighs and hips. Okay. Um, and each week they would get smaller as they gained weight. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> okay, as so they started leaning and toning up the... They, uh, they, they, they shrunk in volume, but they increased in mass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so what about athletes and, you know, like long-distance runners, people that are very thin and lean? How healthy would you say their metabolism is? Uh, uh, there was a study of using radioactive testosterone, and uh, they not only saw that the, the runner's muscles were atrophied, but comparing them to weightlifters who had developed huge skeletal muscles, uh, with these isotopes, they could make a picture of their heart, lungs, and brain, and so on. Uh, all of their tissues had atrophied so that the, the lean, long-distance runners also mm -hmm. had lean, flabby hearts, very thin hearts. And, thin here, and here that's supposed to be... Um the heart-healthy form of exercise. Yeah, stereotypical picture of health, that kind of Kenyan long-distance marathon runner. Um, yeah, a lot of things happen. Uh, fertility is often reduced because the testosterone goes down. And the uh, a very immediate thing that you can see in even fairly low-intensity exercise is that the uh, lungs lose some of their ability to diffuse oxygen in and carbon dioxide out, hmm. uh, the actual substance of the lung air sac thickens uh, with, with just a, a fairly moderate amount of continued exercise. Is that an inflammatory process that's causing that? Or? Um, uh, yeah, it's a kind of edema, hmm. mild inflammation. Hmm. And uh, sports anemia hmm. is a recognized thing. It's a combination of, of all of those little stresses and uh, shift away from the anabolic uh, testosterone to the uh, females are always relatively anemic because of the influence of the balance of estrogen relative to the androgens. Hmm. And uh, the sports anemia is somewhat like the feminizing effect of estrogen on the blood system. So the long-distance runner has an... Uh 
deformed heart and deformed lungs, basically, compared to the bodybuilder. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's hold it there for a second. You're listening to Ask Europe Doctor on KMUD Garville 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in uh, with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of weight loss. Our guest speaker here is Dr. Raymond Pete, and... Um, from 7.30 to 8, we'll be open for questions. But Dr. Pete, um, moving on a little bit then in, in, in a, a tangent direction, the, are, are some people uh, more predisposed to uh, this kind of inefficient glucose oxidation from other causes, uh, like, uh, I know you mentioned PUFA a lot, uh, or cortisol-dominant uh, type pictures? Um, yeah, lots of uh, things can interfere with your higher rate of metabolism. Uh, things that suppress your thyroid are, are the basic, most common thing, but uh, anything that can increase your, your um, cortisol or even your glucagon uh, can uh, interfere with your metabolism, slow down your metabolic rate. Uh, serotonin, uh, estrogen, for example, both lower your body temperature. Okay. And uh, many stresses can increase those, uh, and those tend to increase the glucagon, uh, shift you away from uh, being able to oxidize the, uh, the glucose and instead depend on fatty acid oxidation. So okay. sluggish digestion could increase um, estrogen, and cortis- um, estrogen and serotonin, and radiation could increase estrogen and serotonin. Uh, yeah, the bowel is... Um, one of the ways to get rid of unneeded estrogen by way of the liver excreting it, and if your bowel is sluggish, you reabsorb it. And if your bowel is irritated and sluggish, it secretes much more serotonin than needed, which affects your whole hormonal system, bringing up the stress hormones and contributing to lowered temperature. So eating carrots... With vinegar or lemon juice or just carrots and taking liver herbs like cascara and dandelion root, milk thistle can help with sluggish bowels. Uh, yeah, and uh, just eating uh, what you consider to be the most delicious food can greatly help the intestine uh, secrete more juices so things digest faster and move along more smoothly. So enjoy your food. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can enjoy our food, and, and hopefully it's not enjoying poofas, which is fried whatever. <laughs> as long as it's not fried in uh, coconut, uh, as long as it's not fried in coconut oil, then it's bad for you. Okay, so let's let's get let's get back to uh, um, where we were at the beginning in terms of uh, people uh, mentioning that they can't help but uh, gain a bit of extra mid weight, and uh, I think what we're coming coming around to is that exercise and muscle building however small or however gentle, however gradual, is one of the most important things when uh, adopting uh, a typical diet that would certainly replace all the nutrition that a person needs. I know your diet does that. Um, so in, in terms of gentle muscle building, um, how, how do you advo- advocate that to happen, say, in a uh, sedentary uh, 60-year-old lady, perhaps? Um, just doing an occasional knee bend. Uh, squatting and standing up again, and uh, maybe getting some five-pound dumbbells mm-hmm. and 
uh, lifting those in different motions, mm -hmm. uh, just a few lifts uh, two or three times a day. And, and when you're doing that, maybe uh, squat once or twice. Right, because it really is about being actively involved in generating uh, muscle, however gently or however uh, lightly uh, the weight or the exercise would uh, would involve. Okay, because you're you're saying essentially that muscle in its own right um, effectively burns glucose, and the very presence of muscle with the increase in testosterone, testosterone rather, will actually improve the metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now another uh, another uh, uh, another direction. Then you, you you've mentioned in the, I don't know you mentioned this uh, earlier on um, that you said, and this is for the guys I think <laughs> preferentially because they probably have more of a chance to uh, see this. But you mentioned foaming urine uh, as being an indicator of uh, an, an excess excretion of steroid hormone uh, precursors. And, uh, and being a sign of stress. Well, uh, yeah, in the morning, uh, you have generally been exposed to several hours of darkness, and uh, darkness is very stressful. Um, just staying indoors too much gives you chronic stress from the absence of light, but everyone in the morning is at their peak of uh, being exposed to uh, stress hormones from the darkness. And during stress, like starvation, uh, the hormones first uh, try to mobilize uh, energy production, and that during the night involves increased free fatty acids, uh, sort of like uh, doing a, a little marathon during the night as far as the shift to fatty acids goes. And um, your liver, if it's well-nourished and supplied with thyroid hormones, will uh, process steroids such as estrogen and cortisol, which reach it. Uh, they will, the liver will attach either uh, sulfate or uh, a sugar, glucuronic acid, uh, to make it water-soluble so that then it can leave in the bloodstream to the kidneys and okay. be excreted. Mm -hmm. And in that, uh, attached to the um, either the sulfate or the sugar, it is like a soap. Um, it uh, is oily at one end and water-soluble at the other, and so it makes foam. Okay. And during the night, the uh, fatty acids can be processed in the same way. And uh, the... The liver especially recognizes the unsaturated fatty acids, but whatever arrives during the night uh, is likely to contribute to that morning foam. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know you mentioned the uh, liver's ability in uh, storing uh, glucose for the nighttime uh, diet or fast, if you like, uh, for the eight hours that we don't eat. So given, given that a person's consuming adequate sugars during the daytime to stock their liver, uh, for the nighttime fast, uh, or, or given that the person uh, would, as we recommend, and I know that you've um, 
been, been an advocate and suggestion of this, that they're eating a small amount of ice cream at night time before bed or they're taking a glass of orange juice to bed with them to sip on whenever they wake up to uh, take, get a little bit of sugar so that their adrenaline is kept down and their nighttime stress response doesn't occur. Do you think that, that is that still possible for somebody to have uh, a foam, foaming more morning urine in the, in the presence of uh, sugars during the night time? Um, yeah, the um, uh, stress always occurs, but if you're sleeping soundly and deeply, there is less intense damage from the stress. Hmm. So if you stayed awake in the dark, uh, you would probably have a, a super foamy <laughs> urine in the morning. Okay, and this is something else uh, perhaps during the daytime if um, some, some of the guys notice uh, what's happening with them during the day. This, again, would be another indicator of uh, insufficient sugars to block adrenaline and other stress hormones and that their system was reasonably stressed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And what about for females? Uh, same thing. Yeah. This is not as obvious. <laughs> it's not as yeah. obvious. I'm only saying it because of, of how obvious it is. Okay. So, um, yeah. Okay, so going on to, um, going on to the, uh, the, the, the shift the shift in uh, fat uh, content or fat makeup that you advocate from uh, or the recommendations that our listeners have heard over the last few years uh, in terms of increased saturated fats, uh, switching to butter, coconut, uh, palm oil, uh, excluding all the liquid oils um, as sources of PUFA. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I know you've mentioned in the past that the... Uh, the the need to avoid PUFA is pretty paramount if you really want to make a change in your physiology. But I think you've also said that it's, it's very difficult to avoid it totally because you're naturally going to produce some. Um, well, uh, the natural foods, uh, milk, beef, lamb, coconut oil, and so on, these all have 2 or 3% unsaturated polyunsaturated fats. And... Uh, if you eat just a tiny bit more than you're going to burn uh, right away, some of it gets stored in your fat tissue. And what is stored is preferentially polyunsaturated fats. Your body recognizes that the good stuff to burn right away is the saturated fat right after the sugars. And uh, so it selectively uh, doesn't burn the polyunsaturated fat quickly and, and so it's the most likely to be stored. But then your fat is the same way. Fat cells prefer to burn saturated fat. And so whatever you've stored in your fat by eating more than you needed, uh, over time your fat cells uh, use up the uh, percentage of the stored saturated fat and increase the percentage of the stored polyunsaturated fat so that as you get older and fatter, or even if you don't get fatter, as you get older, your fat tissue becomes more polyunsaturated so that each time you uh, get hungry or stressed and draw on your fat stores for energy, it is <laughs> more anti-thyroid and more pro-estrogenic because of its increasing uh, polyunsaturation with with time. So, with a common recommendation of uh, this is a common recommendation I make is include three tablespoons of coconut oil in your diet a day. 
But, of course, if we were talking about someone who only burns 700 calories a day, would you still make that same recommendation to do three tablespoons of coconut oh, no. oil? More like a small teaspoon three times a day. Right. So I think basically what we, our listeners and we have to keep in mind is that everybody's metabolism is at a different rate. And if someone's eating a 1,200-calorie-a-day diet and it's, like, perfect and they say, I can hardly eat anything, well, that's probably because they're only burning 700 and they're, they just keep gaining weight on 1,200. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So... Um, is is there any way then perhaps for those people who probably uh, we're talking about right now to be able to assess their metabolic rate given that that is what is driving how well they, they do or don't lose weight? Um, one way is just to look everything up in a, a food analysis chart and mm-hmm. uh, measure the amount of uh, calories you're eating every day. But another way is to uh, calculate or note of the fluid that you drink, milk, juice, coffee, total uh, volume of of fluid intake in a day, and measure the total volume of urine output in the same period of time. And the difference is what's evaporated. And in an average uh, level of activity and average relative humidity, a person will generally evaporate a liter per thousand calories burned. Uh, so if you have only a missing liter of fluid in the day, you know you're only burning a thousand calories. So if someone gets a, a half a gallon of fluid a day and they only pee out, say, a couple cups, <laughs> yeah. then you know that they're very... <laughs> Their their system is very, very Hot. low thyroid. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, no, sorry, pint, very very high thyroid. What a pint out of uh, two liters, that's a fifteen hundred calorie burning. So that's not very much either. Right, but if somebody um, drinks a half a gallon and they practically pee, you know, a, a quart a, and a half, that's a very bad. A bad ratio. Yeah. And a half a gallon, that would be about two liters. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's four liters to a gallon. I just thought we might want to remind listeners that it is 7.30 and the phone lines are open if people want to call in and have any questions about the subject tonight. Yeah. Or if any other subject that they're interested in relating right, to the... Right. Uh, okay. All right. Thanks Thank you, Jordan. That. Okay, so, <clears throat> excuse me, I know you, um, you, you also are very keen that um, females and males do everything they can to limit their exposure to estrogen for all of its uh, negative effects. Um, Estrogen-dominant females, this is something else that you you brought out, uh, that it's not, you don't always take it for granted that estrogen-dominant females would be overweight uh, with those, what we typically imagine as estrogen uh, tendencies, but actually you could get a slender, uh, slender woman uh, based on the same the same conditions with estrogen. Yeah. In, in the animal studies, they've uh, seen that estrogen uh, uh, excites uh, some of the uh, metabolic processes while slowing others down, okay. and it can uh, make the animals uh, hyperactive, uh, but uh, very slender. And uh, uh, in people, it, there are cases where it can do that same thing. It can make a woman tense 
very hyperactive and, and oversensitive and, and very skinny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it can do the other. It can uh, turn on the, the stress metabolism while it slows the metabolism, uh, uh, lowering the body temperature, for example. Okay. And uh, uh, that can lead to uh, excess uh, fat storage. And that's the same in men as well. Excess estrogen can make some men very thin, and excess estrogen can make some men overweight. Mm-hmm. So, how, is, is there any any surefire way of um, differentiating differentiating the one condition in the two separate uh, physical pictures? No, nothing that I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> about. Do, 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 do you know what the uh, um, uh, the the biological preference is? For driving, driving it in one or the other direction? Um, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I had I had to ask, but I'm sure I'm I'm, I'm sure there's uh, something more that you'll bring out in a bit. We've got two callers on the line, Doctor Pete. So let's uh, take the first of the two callers. You're on the air. This uh, this is David. Hello. Hi, David. Where are you calling um, from tonight, David? Yeah, I think that's the other thing. I want to make uh, bring everyone's uh, attention. Let's, let's find out where everyone is from. Uh, I am from Missouri. Missouri. And um, I've, I've actually talked to Sarah a few times and emailed and, and emailed Dr. Pete. And I really appreciate this show, by the way. I've listened to these podcasts. I, I've uh, downloaded every podcast that you've done. <laughs> You're very welcome. And that's what I listen to when I drive. And I just great. Sometimes I've listened to, to several of these over several times. And I know there's a lot in there. It takes a while. To oh yeah, I know. It. It's just amazing how it seems like each week that goes by, I just understand this more and more at a deeper level, and I just I love it. Yeah, well, iPods are useful then. <laughs> well, uh, and absolutely. And we're very um, grateful for Dr. Pete. I've so got kind of two different sets of questions that still pertain to everything we talked about tonight. One is uh, I have a, a fairly weak left knee, and so I've been kind of experimenting with using uh, a rebounder. I've got two different types, a, a more soft one and then a one that's a little bit firmer, and I kind of go back and forth between the two. I do very light, you know, just bouncing, and then uh, also running in place or jogging, and I usually try to do that you know, like three to five minutes, and I do that several times through the day if I'm at home working. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious what you think of that. Dr. Pete? Um, I don't know if there's um, much benefit to the bouncing. Uh, it does strengthen your bones, I guess, the, the uh, compression and concussion, but um, uh, something that builds more massive muscles, uh, uh, stress, uh, even though it isn't uh, fatiguing, uh, just uh, resistance training in little bursts, I think, uh, would help to raise your androgens and strengthen the connective tissues. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, Dr. Pete. So just using, like, different weights and not doing too much stress, but trying to uh, do a certain amount of repetitions where you're just strengthening the muscles, that is a good thing to do on I'm, I'm, yeah, make the muscle know that it's been active. Uh, warm it up a little, but not enough to make you get out of breath or anything. And then what do you feel about just doing basic yoga, you know, like doing uh, different postures and holding right. those postures where you're actually holding the muscles in a you know, semi-stressed state but then relaxing it 
Um, yeah, that kind of uh, stress is good for the muscles. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've been using the 250-watt bulbs that you had recommended, and I've got three of those, and I use those in different places around the house. Uh, because I'm a photographer, I have light stands, so it makes it kind of easy to move them around. <laughs> but um, I'm curious, you know, because you're, you've talked about the stress of darkness before you, you know, after the sun goes down and as you go into the evening before you go to bed, do you think it's useful to use those right before going to bed, like say for 15 minutes to a half hour, and then maybe when you arise in the morning, maybe doing it for a half hour, like while you're drinking your coffee, or I, I what do you think, think of that? I think so, and I'm basing that on some studies that were done on uh, plant tissues about 30 or 40 years ago. They, they found that uh, any kind of tissue put in sunlight or ultraviolet light uh, got some excited uh, free radicals or excited electrons, and shining red light on those would uh, uh, just immediately quench those that had been excited. But uh, in if you keep living tissue in the dark, it uh, starts building uh, up uh, more of those excited electrons over a period of oh, 30 minutes or so, you can uh, see an increase in them. So, wow, that's great. Okay. And then just one last question. Is dreaming a sign that you're having a certain degree of stress through the night rather than being in a deep sleep where you're not remembering your dreams when you wake up in the morning or uh, when you wake up in the middle of the night? Yeah, the, the metabolism has these cycles. Uh, the 24-hour uh, cycle is the basic thing, but it is subdivided into roughly 90-minute cycles of ups and downs uh, where the blood sugar and adrenaline and uh, everything is uh, mobilized a little bit. And uh, if your liver uh, is running short on fuel, uh, the uh, cycles become more intense and the dream cycles uh, go with uh, drops in the blood sugar and surges of, of the nerve chemicals such as adrenaline. Huh, okay. And, this and is so if you were having a really great dream that was exhilarating and you felt really good about when you woke up, would that still be the case because it's, it's actually causing you to awaken? Um, yeah, except that's probably uh, that your whole system recognizes that it has been rested and it's time to get up and eat something. And that's ah, often okay. why that's often why you have dreams in the um, early hours of the morning because that's when you run out of sugar at that point. But yeah, that oh, that makes sense. I'll be darned. Okay. What were you going to say, Doctor P? Uh, if your body is well rested from uh, six or eight hours of sleep, then the dreams are likely to have a very pleasant quality, getting you ready to go out and do something. Yeah, it's preparing you to wake up. As, yeah. a, as opposed that's, to the that's pretty cool. As opposed to the nightmares. Yeah, as opposed to the one a.m. nightmares. <laughs> right, exactly. So that means that your body is really stressed out, and it's yep. it's yeah, not getting what it needs. All right. Well, thank you so much for your call. Hey, thank you. Okay, we've got two more callers, so let's take the next caller. Hi, and where are you from? Yeah, I am calling from Piercy. Oh, okay, just down the road. I, okay. Yeah. Um, I turned the radio on j just uh, in the midst of uh, the 
the subject about urinating and taking in fluid. Um, what my question is, if you take in uh, a half gallon of fluid a day and you um, pee out most of that, is that healthy or is that unhealthy? It uh, shows that you're not evaporating very much. So in an extremely humid climate, uh, that wouldn't be so bad. But in a, if you're indoors and have a relative humidity of about 50, then it uh, means that your metabolism is slow and not producing much heat. I see. Okay, so you want a, a certain amount of evaporation um, when the uh, atmosphere is, in fact, dry. Um, yeah, uh, very healthy, like uh, 12 to 15-year-old people uh, burn fuel very wastefully, but that's when people are the least likely to die is when they're wasting fuel like crazy. So basically... When you say least likely to what? To die? To die, yeah. Around 12 to 15 people are the, are the healthiest and oh, I see. most, yeah, most okay. resistant to stress. So, right. Dr. P... That's not based on wasting fuel, though, is it? Or? Yeah, it looks like a waste to eat thousands of calories a day when you're not doing anything, but it's good for you. I see. I see. So a fast metabolism, is that what you're saying, is a healthier metabolism? Yeah, the wasteful energy metabolism. Gotcha. And so, Doc, right, well, just to answer another question, um, caller, if you burn or evaporate half of what you drink, so you pee out the other half, that's pretty much normal in our um, climate. Wouldn't you agree, Dr. Pete? If you um, drink maybe three quarts of liquid, and you pee out a quart and a half. Yeah. Okay, good. But in this, in this I case, that would be, that's about an average norm. Right, because uh, we, we don't have that high humidity like they do in the south. Okay. So the, you say that we don't have the high, oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, especially during the summertime, obviously. Right. Even drier. Dry yes. All right. Okay. Real good. Thank you. All right. Thank you for thank your Thank you call. for your call. All right. Let's take the next call. Hello. Hi, you're on there. Hello, Dr. Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading. Oh, this is a fascinating show. Thank you so much. Where are you from, caller? Uh, I'm Southern Humboldt. Okay. Um, I'm reading that one side effect of anti-anxiety and antidepressant drugs is weight gain. Do you know how this works, or do you know how these drugs work at all? Uh, if they increase your exposure to serotonin or decrease your adrenaline, uh, they'll slow your metabolic rate and uh, uh, make it harder to burn calories. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, thank you so much. And, and you know, just the, just how, you know, I'm reading also that they don't uh, really, there's no conclusive studies as to uh, relating a low serotonin level with any mental uh, state. So anyway. Um, yeah, they're not even sure how those um, SSRIs work anyways. Now they're saying that it really doesn't have much to do with serotonin. Yeah, and they, they, they don't have a very good uh, way of 
describing the topography of the receptors and all of that kind of stuff. So if you act, you can elucidate any on that, I would appreciate it. And I'll just, uh, I'll just hang up now and listen. Thanks. Thank you for your call. <laughs> so, Dr. Pete, I guess the last question was, how are these antidepressants making people feel better if it's not... If they are, if it's, it has nothing to do with serotonin increasing or decreasing or anything at all with serotonin. Oh, they all work in slightly different ways. So you have to think about each one individually. Maybe we should do have a, a special time to go over some of those specific chemicals. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, but well thanks, uh, thank, thanks for the, the callers that have been. Okay, so the lines are open uh, from now until 8 o'clock. Uh, if you live in the area, the number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And if you live outside the area, uh, the number is 923... Uh, beg your pardon. If you live outside the area, the number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. If you're in the area, it's 923-3911. Okay, so um, Dr. Pete, just carrying on, carrying on with the topic of the uh, ideal the ideal diet that I know you've suggested before, which uh, I know Sarah's uh, deals with quite a lot of people with this, and you're mentioning the uh, quart of OJ. Well, do, you want to me- do you want to mention the, uh, what you would normally be recommending? Well, I mean, if, you were, if Dr. Pete was, would recommend something like a quart of orange juice, a quart of milk a day, and you uh, wanted to lose weight, I mean, you wouldn't have much room for anything else uh, if you only burn 700 calories a day. Well, if you use 1% butterfat milk, that's only 400 uh, calories per quart, uh, where whole milk would be uh, almost twice that much. Yeah. Um, and one of the tricks of orange juice is that there are some good chemicals in it which are uh, anti-estrogenic uh, and some other fruits. Uh, tropical fruits uh, are some some of the anti-estrogens are are very important uh, for the metabolism uh, as well as the uh, minerals and uh, type of sugar and such so there's there's compounds you're saying in OJ even um yeah that are anti-estrogenic yeah and uh, with milk it isn't just the protein but the calcium right uh, is very important as an anti-inflammatory, uh, anti-stress, uh, uh, antidepressant, and so on. Uh, people who eat the same uh, number of calories without milk are much more likely to be fat than the people who are uh, regular milk drinkers. Hmm. Okay. I know. Why, why don't you tell us about your experience when you were in? Finland, I think it was, Finland and Russia? Oh, well, in uh, Russia and the Slavic countries in general, I, I found that there was uh, really no reliably good milk in the cities. Uh, and uh, the people all had bad teeth and were fat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, food was very cheap, but milk was scarce. And... Uh, Probably proteins in general weren't uh, as cheap as, as the average food. But uh, crossing over the border into Finland, it was very impressive to uh, 
see how many stores uh, had displays of cheese in the window. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people were um, all healthy-looking and slender compared to on the other side of the border. Well, we noticed the same thing in France. You go to uh, France, and they everywhere they all eat cheese, <laughs> and they're most for the most part they're all very slender. Yeah, so I guess what you're saying is that 400 calories from orange juice is not comparative to 400 calories from baked potatoes and rice. Uh, definitely not. Yeah. It, it stimulates your metabolism and suppresses the stress hormones. Whereas 400 calories from baked potato and rice would in, uh, increase your stress hormones and suppress your metabolism. Yeah, and then there's the matter of the, the starch particles. That uh, If you don't have some uh, saturated fat with them, the starch particles can uh, set up a whole uh, pattern of stress and injury by entering your bloodstream, uh, which uh, people taking supplements should be very careful to avoid anything with particles such as titanium dioxide or silica. Those are very allergenic uh, um, particles that are in all supplements practically. Yeah, and, and those things getting into the bloodstream trigger the stress hormones, and obesity is the least of the things they contribute to. Okay, we've got uh, we've got a few more callers on the line, Dr. Pete, so let's take this first caller. You're on the air, and where are you from? Hello? Hello, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hi, I've been trying to lose some weight, and uh, I've been weighing myself uh, periodically and at, at nighttime as well in the morning. And it seems to me that I'm, I lose about five pounds of weight sleeping. Uh, I've, some, some nights I've noticed I've urinated. Sometimes I haven't urinated. And it seems always about the same, about five pounds. And I'm wondering where this five pounds goes, if it's with heat, and if there's a relationship between uh, being cold at night and warm at night, whether you lose more weight in uh, cooler climates than you would in warmer, even though warmer climate people seem to be uh, thinner than cooler climate people. It depends on how you respond to the cold. Uh, some people... Uh, steam up the windows of the bedroom so the, uh, the window uh, runs water down and uh, collects at the bottom of the windowsill uh, in the morning. Those mm -hmm. are the people who lose a lot of weight by evaporation during the night. Uh, you can see the water collecting on the cool surfaces. And then people in warmer climates are warmer, so their metabolism stay up during the night. And they probably are thinner because of that, right, Dr. Pete? Yeah. Um, uh, when your uh, body temperature drops in the night because you're slowing it down to resist the stress, <clears throat> but if you reach a certain temperature, you turn on the inflammatory stress-producing hormones, and so uh, you get uh, not only the darkness but the cold cold extremities so causing stress. So, that, so it's better to be comfortable if you're actually trying to shed weight is better to be comfortable at night, correct? Yeah. Okay. So that's reaching reaching the low temperatures you mean with uh, Dr. Pete. Um yeah, if your if your feet reach uh, 90 degrees Fahrenheit, uh they're producing toxic uh, stress-inducing uh substances. 
So don't run around barefoot with cold feet. <laughs> yeah, we, we're always telling our nieces that. Always make sure they get their socks on. I know my grandma's always. A, 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 That's uh, incredible. <laughs> an, sure advo- is. an advocate for keeping your feet warm when you get out of bed. Don't. don't cold you... head. Yeah, well, cold head and cold feet not good and, for you. Uh, some people taking a warm foot bath at bedtime and then putting on warm socks mm. and a wool cap sleep a lot better. Yeah, there you go. Okay, we have two more callers, so thanks, thanks for your caller, caller. Thanks a lot. Hi, next caller, you're on the air? I'm here. Hello? Hello, I'm here. Hi, where, where are you calling from? Uh, oh, is that me? Yes, it's you. Where are you calling oh, from? I'm calling from Phyllisville. Phillipsville, okay. That's uh, 15 miles up the road. Okay, go ahead. Well, there's a couple of questions I had. Um, one, I'm curious, in the beginning you said something about eating food that tastes delicious to you, was good for you, but you didn't say what foods those were. It varies with the person. Uh, but you should try to avoid the uh, things that uh, affect your metabolism harmfully, like starches and polyunsaturated fats. Or, and uh, some some plant materials are toxic, but otherwise, just what appeals. Is it good to, to eat whole grains like brown rice and millet? Uh, no, there's al- almost nothing of value in those. <laughs> Even if it's if it's not processed. Um, I don't mean like white rice. Uh, well, uh, the white rice is uh, relatively free of irritants and toxins, but it has very little of food value in the carbohydrate. Well, I thought brown rice had a lot of vitamins and fiber and things that were good for you. Not compared to, like, say, orange juice. Okay, now, when it comes to... How about ice cream? Uh, You know, a good ice cream that doesn't have chemicals in it, like Haagen-Dazs or something. Is that good for you or not? I mean, it's got high calories. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to lose weight, then I wouldn't recommend you eat ice cream. But if you're... uh, You're not trying to lose weight, you're happy with your weight, and you're having trouble sleeping, it can help a lot of people... Go to milk, sleep. milk and sugar is a bad food combination. Uh huh. Um, I heard that. No, um, I wouldn't no. agree with that at all, Jordan. <laughs> if you have like um, some cheese or or a small glass of milk or something, that there's something in that that uh, helps you sleep. Um. Yeah, milk contains a good balance all in itself because it has some some fat, some protein, and some sugar. Well, but I don't drink milk, but I do put half and half in my coffee in the morning. Does that count? Uh. I didn't hear that. I said I, I don't usually drink milk by itself, but I, I put half and half in my coffee in the morning. Does oh, that count? Oh, well, no, that's mostly cream. Well, and that's not good? I mean, it's half cream, half milk, I guess. Uh, well, it's okay if it goes with other food, such as protein and uh, sugars. Uh, but uh, Now, um, you, you mentioned orange juice a lot, but what other, uh, other fruit juices? Um I tend to really enjoy other fruit juices, like berry juice and peach juice and carrot juice and cherry juice and all kinds of different juices, um, you know, that, that, that don't have sugar in them. And I tend to drink them like half diluted with water, so they're not so strong. But I've had people tell me that um, it's not good for me because it has too much sugar in it and too many calories. So what do you think about juices other than orange juice? Oh, oh uh, uh, many juices are are good. It's the minerals and um, antioxidants, uh, as well as the sugar, that are, are important. But uh, uh, grapefruit juice, for example, has a chemical that causes your liver to uh, 
increase estrogen in the body. Oh, no, I don't mean grapefruit juice. I'm thinking of, um, uh, you know, like apricot juice, peach juice, berry juice, grape juice, those kinds. Our grape juice is very good as long as you consider the calories. It has more concentrated calories than orange juice. Um, some tropical fruits are very good. Guava, for example. Uh-huh. Mango? Uh, carrot juice is another one that should be avoided except in small amounts because of the high carotene content. It's very metabolically suppressive. Oh, it is. It antagonizes both thyroid and progesterone. What's good for, for thyroid? Uh, you know, what, what's good for, like, stimulating your metabolism so that you, you know, you burn calories quicker, but, you know, you won't have an overactive thyroid? Um, milk, cheese, and uh, some of the fruit juices are the best things. Right, so 400 calories from uh, fruit juice isn't going to be the same as eating 400 calories of brown rice. The 400 calories of brown rice is going to be much more metabolically suppressive than the 400 calories from fruit juice. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you for your call, but it is, you. it is a couple of minutes to the top of the hour, and I want to make sure that the listeners who are tuned in get to know uh, Dr. Raymond Pete's uh, contact details. So, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this show, Dr. Pete. Uh, thanks so much for your input and your, uh, your wisdom. And I'm sorry we couldn't get to you other I'm callers. Sorry, I'm sorry that we had two more callers on the line, but I'm afraid we couldn't we couldn't get to you. Join us next month, March 15th. So uh, those people that have listened to us, uh, and Dr. Raymond Pete most especially, uh, his contact details are www.raypeat.com, uh, full of uh, uh, what we would call scientific articles, folks, so not just hearsay. Uh, not just things that he's come up with, but a lot of uh, his articles are fully referenced, so there's plenty of uh, science behind it. And that's R-A-Y-P-E-A-T. Dot com. Okay, so lots of articles there for people to read, and even the subject we've mentioned this evening, there's uh, plenty of information there. So uh, thanks again for all the callers, and uh, we can also be reached toll-free uh, Monday through Friday at 1-888-WBM-HERB. So uh, until the third Friday of next month... Which is March 15th. Yep, we, uh, we look forward to uh, speaking with Dr. Pete again and uh, with those people who've tuned in. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your callers. One month from today, we'll be back again with the Herb Doctor, the Herb Doctors. Thank them so much for a great, informative program. Really glad to be here engineering tonight. Usually I'm enjoying that program from home. Support for Cambridge comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And to date, none of the positive attributes of Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup have yet to be exaggerated. Stay tuned. Funked Up with Cousin Mark is next.
It is 8 o'clock and 53 degrees here in Redway, home of the greatest radio station on the planet. This one right here, Redwood Community Radio. KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. KMUE Eureka Arcata, 88.1 FM. KLAI Laytonville, 90.3. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. 